Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. This morning we are back into Mark's Gospel, still in the first chapter. We're going to be here for another three months. No, not really. We're not going to be here for three months. But we are going to spend our time going through chapter one, um, making sure that we are getting the foundation that Mark has laid for us in it. Uh, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, there are three themes that, even though there are probably many, many themes that we could pick up from Mark's gospel, there are three that each and every week we're going to pick up, Okay. Um, And the first of which is that there is a king in Mark's gospel. And we're going to be seeing every single week who that king is. Obviously, we know that the king that we're talking about is Jesus. And yet, we're talking about his person. Each and every week, we're going to be seeing something different about Jesus' person. uh, That should be informing how we worship. It should be informing the way that we live, and so we will see that each and every week. We're going to be seeing glimpses of this king's kingdom. And last week we talked about the fact that, okay, the kingdom has arrived. Jesus declared this. This is the good news. And yet, it doesn't look like it, right? Why is that? And we said that, well, where the king is present, there his kingdom is also. Why did the kingdom come as Jesus declared? It's because the king came. And we talked about how that relates to the church last week and how that doesn't relate to the church last week. And then lastly, we're going to see each and every week a theme of discipleship, which shorthand, we're just going to be calling a continual, a constant and continual call to follow. Now, originally, this word discipleship discipleship simply meant to learn, to learn from a teacher. And yet, sometimes, this does include following the teacher, right? And we're going to see in Jesus' case that this is much more than simply learning from a teacher or simply walking behind a teacher. It's a deeper combination of all of these things put together. And we're going to see how that plays out this week. Last week, here was our big idea. Jesus remained sinless when we could not to save his people from their sin. Giving us the faith and repentance that we needed. So how did he save us from our sin? He gave us the faith and the repentance that we needed. Now again, I know that this sounds maybe a little bit strange to your ears. No, no, I have faith. And we read last week that this is a gift from God. Oh, no, no, I repented. Yes, you did. It is a gift from God. That might sound like it's putting you inside of a box. That might sound like it's a bad thing. But I promise you, as we continue to study through this gospel, we are going to see that that is a very good thing that these are good gifts from God that he has given to you. But this week, we're at a very familiar passage. You've probably heard this passage and at least three others like it preached 
time and time and time again. And you know what? You're probably not going to hear anything new this morning, but you are going to hear what you need to hear. And I say that not because I'm speaking, okay? Because I'm going to forget half of what I'm supposed to say. I'm saying that because this is God's word. And each and every week, uh, no offense to Stephen Robin, you guys did a great job this morning. The songs may not be what we like to hear. Maybe the sermon wasn't quite what we wanted to hear. And yet, all of it is exactly what we needed. Because we're getting it from God's word. Okay? So here's our big idea this week. Jesus approaches us, continually calling us to follow him. Jesus approaches us, continually calling us to follow him. If it's all right, I'm going to pick up where we left off last week. I'm going to read this passage one more time. Uh, Verse 14 of chapter 1. Now, after John was arrested, which again is a reminder that uh, there's an order of events that needs to take place here, right? John's ministry is finishing, and Jesus' ministry is beginning. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. So what is the good news here? Well, for Jesus, this good news, this good news from God is that the kingdom is right in front of them. And then straight away from there, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, passing along the Sea of Galilee. This sounds like Jesus is just out for a walk, and all of a sudden, oh look, there's two men in the ocean, in a boat, or on the shore, casting a net. I think I'll go talk to them. Is that what's happening here? No, I don't think so. In fact, we know for a fact that Andrew already knew who Jesus was. We read in John chapter 1 that Andrew was a follower of John the Baptist. He knew who Jesus was. He knew to be expecting a Messiah. And potentially he had even seen Jesus when John baptized him. So, Here we go. Is this the fresh slate where some stranger just walks up out of nowhere and a faithful disciple says, yes, I'm going to drop everything and I'm going to go follow this guy? Uh, Yes and no. The, The answer is yes because that, well, yeah, that is exactly what they do. And yet the answer is no, too, because Andrew and then Peter through Andrew already knew who this man was. They knew he was a teacher They knew that somehow the work that John had been doing to prepare the way for him was going to be very important. Um, Even though maybe the, the water was still a bit muddy, a bit sandy, they didn't know exactly what it meant, but they did know that this man was a teacher that they should follow. So he's not just out for a stroll. It does seem like uh, from, other, uh, from John's gospel specifically that Andrew knew, and then we're going to see the other brothers probably knew uh, who Jesus was a little bit. Um, I, love, I love here at the end of verse 16, Simon's casting a net into the water, okay? Which, take note, 
You know how we said that this was probably um, uh, Peter's story written down by Mark? Well, notice which brother is mentioned first, right? (laughs) He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, even though Andrew's the one, according to John's gospel, that knew who Jesus was. Okay, so Simon's, Simon Peter is mentioned first, okay? So Peter's mentioned first here. But I love this, Simon casting a net into the sea. Okay, what would you assume that they're doing? Fishing, for they were fishermen, okay? <laughs> I love Mark's explanation. Just in case you didn't know why someone would be throwing a net into the ocean, they were fishermen, okay? And this is exactly what John's trying to get us at here. Um. Now, this is a very small, very small thing that's happening. Jesus walking along the sea. He sees a couple of fishermen. And then verse 17, and Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 18, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. Okay. We're going to go slow through this, okay? Um, if you'll recall from verses 15, 14 and 15, what does Jesus say? What did John say? Repent and believe. This isn't a, if you feel like it, repent and believe. This is a command. Do this or else. What is the or else? We all know the or else, right? We went through Isaiah and we, we saw that there was always a do this or else. Well, this is just the good news here, okay? (laughs) Uh, Do this and be saved, right? Repent and believe. It's a command very similarly. Jesus doesn't go, hey guys, would you like to come and follow me? No, he declares to them, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. What a strange thing to say. I will make you fishers of men. Um... I I hear fishers of men, I think of a salesman that's trying to get you to buy something, and then bam, he's got you hooked, okay? That's not what Jesus is doing. He's not preparing them to be salesmen that are going out and showing everyone all the beauty of God's kingdom. In fact, they're going to suffer, they're going to die. But he commands them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. How is being a fisher of men important here? Well, God's first people, Israel, we know this. Uh, Back in the days of Isaiah and Jeremiah, and then in the days of Ezekiel specifically, God's people were carried away into captivity. We've already talked about this too. What was Isaiah always preaching? A new exodus. Yes, You were going to be judged. You were going to be carried away into captivity. But just like God led you out of Egypt, he's going to lead you out of Babylon. Similarly, the prophet Jeremiah says in chapter 16, verses 14 to 21, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives, who brought you up, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Okay, so that's a good thing. But it's no longer going to be said like that. Jeremiah says then, verse 15, But as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of the countries 
where they had been driven. This is a promise that there was going to be a greater exodus. Uh, All the places that God's people had been carried away into to become slaves, to become servants, to be turned into a different culture, God was going to do the work to bring them back. God was going to do the work to bring them back. And let's see how he's planning on doing this. And it's going to be such a great retrieval of his people, such a great rescue, such a great exodus, that we're going to look back at Egypt and we're going to say, that was good, this was better. Jeremiah says, For I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. Verse 16, Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. There's the promise. There's going to be fishers of men that are going to come, that are going to rescue God's people from their exile. What's so strange about this that Jesus is promising Andrew and Peter, though, that they are going to become fishers of men? They're already in the land. Why would they need to be rescued? Well, we also know from the old the whole Old Testament story, God's people, yeah, they are. They're brought back into the land and then they build some walls out of rubble and they build a temple out of some broken down rocks and they try to get people to change through spiritual reform in the land and yet the spiritual reform fails. The walls are small and covered like an eighth of the city that they once covered. The temple is pitiful compared to Solomon's temple. Nothing's working out. Nothing's as it should be. Was this the exodus that we were hoping for? This broken down wall and this broken down temple and these broken down spiritual laws that are getting us nowhere? Now, there's a greater exodus. There's a greater exodus, and that's what Jesus is talking to us about here when he says, follow me, Command, and I will make you fishers of men. He's saying, I'm leading that greater exodus now. Andrew, Peter, you're coming with me, and you're the first ones being led out into the promised land. You're going to follow me, and you're going to bring people with you. You're going to be the ones that are helping me to rescue those that need to be saved. Notice here, too, that Jesus was the one passing along the sea. Jesus was the one that walked up to them. Jesus was the one that spoke to them. See, Jesus is approaching Andrew and Peter. Andrew and Peter didn't, you know, go hear what John had to say, get baptized and say, yeah, no, I feel good about this. Um, And then they said, oh, that's the guy? Yeah, let's go follow him now. No, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Is that what should have happened? I don't know. (laughs) Here's what did happen, is that Jesus went to them, and he said, you should follow me, and this is what's going to happen if you do. We also see that continued idea that this is a work of Jesus in their lives, not just by the fact that he approached them and went to them, but we also see here I will make you 
become. I will make you become fishers of men. You're not just going to follow me and you're going to understand what to do. I'm going to be the perfect guide and leader and I'm going to give you a plan and you're going to go out and attack that plan and you're going to follow it. No, I will make you become. Jesus is promising a change in these men's lives. He says, you follow me and I'm going to change you. And that's exactly what Jesus promises to each and every single one of us. That when we repent, when we believe these gifts from God given to us, that's God approaching us, saying to us, follow me. And I will make you into something that you are not right now. One of the things that we would say that we believe is that God, the Holy Spirit, makes us new. He regenerates us, is the word that we would use in theology. Born again is the word that was used, the word that was used between uh, Nicodemus and Jesus, right? Uh, but just making us new. Making us new. We believe that in order, order to be saved, sinners must be regenerated or made new, or born again. That regeneration, that regeneration that we are given, gives us a holy disposition. Okay, what does that mean? A new holy disposition to our mind. Um, What does this mean? This means that there is something different about us now. What is this being made new? What is this being born again? What is a disposition? I don't even know what a disposition is, okay? Try to find a synonym for disposition that works into the confession, and I'll put it in there, okay? It doesn't work. Uh, This disposition is a desire that we have to now do what God wants for us to do. It's a desire that we have to please God when we previously wanted to please ourselves and our sin, This is a new desire that we have in our heart, in our mind, in our whole selves to please God and to do what he asks of us. It doesn't mean that we do it perfectly, but it does mean that we desire it. Regeneration is accomplished by the power of God in the Holy Spirit in connection with divine truth. How do we know? Uh, How do we know that we can be born again? God's word. How do we know God's word? Someone speaking it to us. This is what we do on a Sunday. We come to hear a word from outside of ourselves, a word that we need to hear. What does someone out in the world where you're going tomorrow need? They don't just need some like encouraging words. They don't need to hear that everything's going to be okay. They don't need to hear that you can be better than you were yesterday. They don't need to hear that your relationships can totally change the way that you live your life. They need to know that they can be made new, entirely different, by hearing God's word. Christian, you and I have been made into fishers of men if we have been made new, if we have been born again if we have been regenerated by God the Holy Spirit. Evidence of our regeneration appears in the holy fruit of repentance, faith, and a newness of life. So how do we know that we've been born again? How do we know that uh, we have been regenerated? Because we have done, as John called people to, 
Because we have done as Jesus called us to, to repent and to believe. If you've done that today, you can know that you have been saved by the blood of Christ. You can know that nearly 2,000 years ago, I can't do the exact math, right? Um, there was blood that was shed for you. Actual blood, okay? This is, this is important. Actual blood that was shed for you that covered over your sins, that atoned for your sins. And it came from someone that was both truly God and truly man. His name was Jesus. And it was his perfect person and his perfect work that caused you and I to be saved. And it's the Holy Spirit working in our hearts to make us new, to lead us to faith, to lead us to repentance. If you have any questions about any of that, I know that Pastor Tom, myself, anyone in this room would be willing to talk to you about that. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. They gave up something. They turned away from something. Um, they followed him. They left what they knew to go on to something that they didn't really know. What would we say this act that Andrew and Peter our picturing for us is. Well, here's an idea. Repentance and faith. Now, was fishing sinful? No, okay, fishing wasn't sinful. And yet, here's the truth. They had been called to something else. Jesus told them, follow me. And what did they do? They turned away from what they once were to become what Jesus wants them to be. And then they followed. They showed faith. So what are Andrew and Peter doing here for us? They are showing us a picture of what John has been preaching and what Jesus has been preaching. They are turning away from something. They are turning away from security that they have in their jobs. Now, a lot of people like to paint this whole idea of being a fisherman. Oh, what a what a bad job, what a poor job. No, not really, actually. They could make a good living doing this. They had the guarantee of eating every night. Um, it seems like they actually knew what they were doing. They had a vocation, a calling that they were good at, and they were doing it. And we're going to see the same with James and John. Not only did they have a vocation that they were good at, they were doing it, but they had a whole family business with their father, with hired servants. Uh, I mean, our ideas of richness and poorness, uh, scratch all that right now. They probably weren't living the high life, but they were living comfortably, and they left the comfort of what they knew to follow someone that they thought they knew, but they weren't quite sure yet, Right? We're going to see that throughout the rest of the gospel. We're going to see people doubting and then coming back to faith. right? We're going to see people doubting, repenting, and coming back to faith. 
Martin Luther said this in the first of his 95 theses uh, back in 1517. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers be one of repentance. What is he saying? He's saying, when Jesus said, repent, he intended that our entire lives would be spent repenting. Is there a time that we do that and we show faith? Yeah. And then for the rest of our lives, we're doing that and we're showing faith. This is why it's a gift from God. Look, a singular act of, re- act of repentance, I, 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 I would like to think that's something I could do. A single act of showing faith and then going on and living the rest of my life, I'd like to think that that's something I could do. But that's not what Jesus is calling Peter to. That's not what and. He's calling Andrew or James or John or you or me to. He's calling us to a life of repentance and a life of faith. We do that through God's empowerment to us. We do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. We do not make ourselves new, right? When we see back in Ezekiel this valley of dry bones... Could I go and say to the bones, get up, put on some flesh and walk? No. Who spoke and made the dry bones put on flesh and walk? They were dead and God made them alive. A heart of stone, who turns that into flesh? Me? No. Lazarus, come out. Did Lazarus say, hey Jesus, you know, I'm dead and I would really like to be alive? No. God did that. Jesus did that. How does one become born again? It's a work of God in our lives. And yes, there is responsibility. We talked about that last week in the freeness of salvation. When God works in our lives, we have a responsibility to respond. Could Peter have said no here? Reasonably, yeah, he could have said no. But he didn't. He didn't because God was doing a work in his life. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. In Luke's gospel, chapter 14, we read this very familiar passage. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down and first deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? 
And if not, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. To the best of my knowledge, Peter and Andrew and James and John hadn't heard this message yet. (laughs) They hadn't heard this message yet, and yet they know it to be true. They know it to be true because of this work that God is doing in their lives to bring them to a place of repentance, to a place of faith, and a place of discipleship that is obeying the constant and continual call from Jesus to us to follow him. So yeah, we see James, we see John, they leave their father. Um, I don't think that uh, necessarily that Mark puts in here the fact that there were hired servants, simply to say that James and John may have had a little bit of money in their family. Uh, It does seem like this is a comforting thing to remind us that uh, they're not leaving their father high and dry, right? Can you imagine having three people's worth of work and then your son's just walking out on you. <laughs> okay? Now, there's, there's hired servants here. Um, and Mark is saying this. Hold on, aren't we supposed to hate our father? No. We're supposed to love Jesus. Right? We're supposed to love as though we could pick up and leave our family and go off and follow Christ anywhere. That's exactly what James and John are doing here. Once again, Jesus called, they turned away from themselves, and they had faith. They followed him. In the midst of what seems like a thriving family business, they had faith that they were going to follow this man, and they were going to be taken care of, that they were going to become something that they weren't yet, but what, that they were meant to be. So that's a whole lot of observations about the text. What are some implications from this text? What are some things that we can read? Because here's the deal. Uh, I don't expect you to follow someone. I don't expect someone to come up to you at work and say, Usani, follow me, right? And to you to respond favorably to that. That would be a cult leader and we don't want to be doing anything like that, right? So what, what is, what's being asked of us in this text? Is, is Jesus walking up to us? Yeah, actually, he is. We already said that, right? In fact, Jesus is going to show us a picture of not necessarily what faith and repentance is, though Christ does show faith when he goes to the cross on our behalf for our sins, but this leaving behind of everything that you know to be safe and secure, Jesus does this throughout the entirety of this gospel and the other gospels too. Paul makes mention of this. John makes mention of this. The fact that Jesus, one person of the Trinity, was totally satisfied in that relationship of the Trinity. And yet, what did he do? He took on his true godness and put on true manness too, true humanness. 
See, he left his place of safety and security. And then even more than that, he left behind the power that he shared and relied upon the power of God the Holy Spirit to do a work in people's lives, to do miracles of casting out demons and healing people. And then he continued to show faith in going to the cross and dying for our sins. The disciples did not yet have this picture of Christ, of Christ as this picture of faithfulness. But they were going to see it. And they were going to need it for the second part of their journeys, right? Not just following Jesus for, for three years and then giving up and going back to fishing. Oh wait, they did that. They were going to need to see the picture of his death on the cross so that they know that they can have faith in God the Father in God the Holy Spirit to carry them through on this mission of being fishers of men. Bringing back those who are lost and in spiritual exile into a new land that God had created for them. So, I don't think Jesus is asking you to give up on your work. Jesus isn't asking you to Leave everything that you know behind to say goodbye to your fathers and mothers. But he is calling us to be willing to do that, sure. He's also calling us to act as though all of these things have already been given up. In fact, if we're not going to value our own lives, uh, you and I, we're going to value our own lives too much, right? We're going to constantly be looking at ourselves for self-sufficiency. We're going to constantly be looking at ourselves and having faith in what we can do. Having faith that we can get ourselves out of this tight spot, whatever it may be. But that's not what Jesus is calling us to He's calling us to give up on ourselves, to repent. What does that mean to do a 180-degree turn, to go in another direction? Really, to stop looking inwardly at ourselves and to look at him instead. To turn away from ourselves and to turn to God. This is repentance. So what does God ask you to give up? I just said he doesn't ask you to give up your whole life, and yet... He asks you to give your whole life over to him. See, what Peter and uh, Andrew and James and John were agreeing to was not simply that they were going to walk behind someone for three years. was not simply like they did with, with John. John was in prison, so it's no wonder they're not out in the wilderness baptizing with him, right? But... It's not like what they did with John where they just go out, they get baptized, and they go back to their, their careers. What Jesus was calling them to was to follow, to be like him, to listen to what he had to teach and to do it, right? And that's exactly what Jesus asks of us. And that's exactly what God the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives, making us more into the likeness of Christ. We have been made new, and now we're being made into the likeness of Christ. So what's our big idea this week? Jesus 
approaches us, continually calling us to follow him. Jesus approaches us, continually calling us to follow him. Jesus is continually calling us to stop relying on ourselves and to instead rely on him, to rely on his person and his work, his shed blood for you and for me. He's continually calling us not to rest in our works, not to rest in how good of a person that we think we are, but to rest in the fact that he was the perfect person, to rest in the fact that he died the perfect death on our behalf, that we no longer have to die. We have the promise of this new life lasting forever and being spent with God. Let's thank God for that. God, we love you. Thank you for our time this morning in your word. God, for each of us that know you, know your Son, know you as our God and your Son as our Savior, for each of us that have been made new by the work of the Holy Spirit, God, I pray that we will not get lazy in the fact that we have responsibility in this situation. think now of, in the book of Proverbs, talk of the sluggard that has the bowl of food in his hand but is too lazy to bring it up to his mouth. God, each and every Sunday that we come here together, you are reminding us that you have called us to yourself. Each and every day as we open up your word, each and every day as we go to you in prayer, we are reminded that we pray because we need help. We go to your word because whatever words we've got going into our brain from the outside world, from the people around us, isn't good enough. We can't rely on these things. We can't rest in these things. God, when we open up your word to read it, we are admitting that we need you. When we come to you in prayer, even in the weakness of our prayers, even in the shortness of our prayers, uh, even in the ignorance of our prayers, it's admitting that we need you, God. So we come here today, Lord, we come to your word this week, we come to you in prayer this week, constantly and continually being reminded of the call that you have made on our lives. God, for those of us that know you, know your son as our savior, God, we thank you that you have done such a work in our lives to bring us to a place of repentance, to give us the faith that we need to keep going. God, we know that you will be faithful to keep blessing us in that. Lord, we know that we need this 
not just today, not just one day of our lives when we said, yes, God, I promise, but each and every single day, Lord. May we open up your word. May we pray to you. May we be with your people, being reminded of the fact that we need you, that we need to follow after you, that we need to seek you. God, we see also in this passage that Jesus promised that for those that follow after him, we would become fishers of men. God, we look around in this world around us and we see exiles. We see people that are separated from you. People that we should be welcoming in to the church. People that need to know your son Jesus as their savior. God, I am cowardly in this. I need your help in it. But even though I do it imperfectly, and even though we do it imperfectly, even though I do it in cowardice sometimes, God, may we be like Peter and like Andrew. (laughs) Peter with so many faults and foibles and mistakes and ignorant statements and just trying. (laughs) May we do just as he did on that day when you called him. May we drop what we have in our hands and may we follow you. May we forget about ourselves and may we be reminded of you. May we be reminded of Jesus, his his perfect work and his perfect person. May we share it with people. God, help us to be fishers of men. Help us to be reaching out and pulling those exiles out of a place of despair, out of a place of being separated from you and bring them into a new place, a place of being born again, of being made more into the likeness of your son Jesus, of being brought in and welcomed into a group of people that know you and love you. God, give us courage in that. Give us the words that we need. God, help us to be faithful in our everyday lives, whatever it is that you've called us to, whatever vocation it is that we have. God, we ask that you would bless us in that. Lord, we know that when we come to you and we ask that you will be faithful, the only question is whether we will be. To constantly be prodding us on, constantly be calling us. God, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening. And remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.